You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many yeah, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West of our football podcast, Bull Edition Preview Set Part 2, or depending on part you listen to, Matt, it may be more than that because we've done multiple podcasts. MWR.com is our website. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, anywhere else. Just search Mountain West Wire. And so far, Matt, 2-0 Bull Week. Mountain West is trying yeah. to win a couple more games. A couple more games, so you're pretty excited. Your team won, Fresno. Now owns a Jimmy Kimmel Bell Bolt. Belt. Bell. Wait. Jimmy Kimmel Bull belt. There we go. Is that how it is? <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> Sorry, I was getting all the bees in there. Bull, blah, blah, blah. But now we're moving on. We're going to second set of games. We have warm-ish weather games. We have let's get into it. First bowl game, AMG Carter Stadium, Matt. Baylor versus Air Force. Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. Obviously, uh perfect bowl game for the Falcons. This game is Tuesday. 6.30 Central Time, if you're there in Texas, 4.30 Pacific, 6.30 Eastern. It is going to be on ESPN, so it's at uh, prime time, I guess, slot. I guess that's a pretty good slot. Since all the bowl games running ESPN, it's the only game going on, going on at that time. But, Matt, we should, right. um, as, we, as you mentioned, Matt, with Rock Skippy competitions going on and other um, games, um, pull open the ESPN app. That's what we recommend to start the game on time. And then move to a TV if you need to. There you go. It makes the most sense, right? From what we've seen so far. Yeah. It's uh no bueno for if you're watching recorded or if you're just waiting for the TV and like, wait, what channel is this on? But this this matchup, Baylor six and six, a weird team. They are somehow, and I don't get it, Matt, a five point favorite and over under forty seven. Could you outside of being in the Big Twelve, what makes them like better than Air Force who legitimately got robbed again as you mentioned for the John Moore Offensive Line Award. Why is Baylor well, favorite? Who, who could say? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they had some narrow close calls that, that might indicate they're a little better than their record might might suggest. You know, I know that we touched upon it very briefly in sort of our bull lineup, you know, r- you know when we were running through the bull lineup at the very beginning a couple of weeks ago. You know, they had a six-point loss in non-conference play to BYU, three-point loss on the road at West Virginia, one-point loss at home to playoff participant TCU, and then a close call against Texas, you know, 11-point loss, but they were very much in that game until the until the end. And I do think that on the one hand, like, they, they have a lot of offensive firepower, that should lead them in the way and will make for what I think is a very tricky matchup for this Falcons defense. But on the other hand, you know, the bears have a, a sort of a suspect defense themselves that air force, if they're on their game, you know, might be able to exploit the same one that they have others. Yeah. I remember watching when they played BYU where it's like, how is the game was defense was so weird. They <laughs> teams were missing field goals they couldn't convert any sort of pass against the BYU defense. It isn't that great either. Like their offensively offense. So they're just a like we mentioned close loss. Like think of it this way: they're 
the TCU game, we saw them they adverse Baylor. TCU got that kickoff to win. They barely lose. They also barely lose to a bad West Virginia team. So they are a very erratic type of team. And they all, again, they played BYU, who's they won the S, whatever the Texas Bowl, whatever it's called, the New Mexico Bowl, excuse me, against a Texas team. They're just, they're just fine. Like they seem to be not even fine, but like, okay, they, they have potential. Their wideness of the elevator, like way up here, ceilings up here to be pretty good, almost beat a team in the playoff, and then lose to a really bad team. It's not even going bowling. So their pendulum, it's a mixed metaphors and mention everyone possible. This game has a, a, a possibility, Matt, to go a million different ways. But you know what I like in my football? Like consistency and Air Force Falcons running brings that consistency. And that's where I think Baylor will have a tough time, obviously. They've not seen a team like this at all throughout the year because they never do. The Big 12 doesn't have a ton of amazing running backs. I know they played B. John Robinson in Texas, but they don't, they don't see this type of consistent and deadly running attack. And that's where it's always going to start when you play Air Force. And that's where they clearly have a big time edge. So do we want to start with, with Baylor's offense versus the Falcons defense or vice versa? We can do offense. We can do Baylor's offense. We can go and through okay. what, they so, what they have going on. So for them. with that in mind, you know, I think it's worth pointing out that this was by and large a team that was led by its offense this year. And, and a lot of the numbers really bear that out. You know, in, in terms of SP plus, for instance, in terms of just like overall efficiency on both sides of the ball, for example. Baylor's 27th on offense and 63rd on defense. So right around the national average on defense, but well above it on the other side of the ball. Same thing holds in terms of like points per drive, you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of that Baylor's 32nd overall in the country, 2.64 points per drive. Same thing with available yards percentage per drive, 33rd overall. So like they can move the ball pretty well. Yeah, they totally could. Yes. But I think part of the problem, and and maybe you know, to narrow the focus just for a moment to the man under center, Blake Shapin. I think if you were to ask Baylor fans whether they were satisfied with his first full year as a starter, especially given that he was he was named the starter after another guy, Jerry Bohannon, led this very same team to the Big Twelve title game last year. Exactly. I have to wonder if they would be satisfied with the year that he had as a quarterback because, you know, he's he was fine. You know, 64% completion percentage, 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, 7.5 yards per attempt. Yeah. He was all right. Mm-hmm. But I do think that, you know, to sort of circle back at least momentarily to your opening question as to why Baylor is such a favorite, I'm wondering how much credence they're giving or not giving to Air Force as a defensive opponent because Shapin in particular really struggled down the stretch. You know, if you look at his numbers on the season versus in November in particular, which, you know, you can take the, you can take that with a grain of salt if you want to, because, you know, in, in November, for example, I'm just going to run down who Baylor played at Oklahoma home versus Kansas state home versus TCU at Texas. Yeah. So, you know, some pretty, pretty good teams in there, you might say. Yeah. But I think it is telling that, like, his completion percentage fell under 60% in that stretch. And he had only three touchdowns in the month against five interceptions. He was not quite as effective. The offense was not quite as explosive as it had been in weeks before that. And so when I think when you start looking at this game, a lot of it is going to come down to, you know, how much he can get back on track versus how much Air Force with their veteran secondary guys like Trey Taylor can be golf. You know, they're they're entering this game, you know, not having faced all that many pass attempts at all. Like, I, I didn't realize this until I was looking at it just now. Do you realize the Falcons have only seen 22 pass attempts per game? Interesting. Well, think of this: they play Army versus Navy. Yeah, they play both those, so that's kind of skews. That's it. true. That's true. But and when they played Boise State, I believe that was one of Taylor Green's early games because they always play them early. New Mexico doesn't throw the ball very well or much. Neither does Wyoming. So that's not overly surprising to me when you kind of dig deep a little bit about it. But it's a it's not a lot. And that yeah, could be a, is, a big change. It's sort of telling, though, that the, the the few times this year when the Falcons got got 
is when their pass defense was shaky. You know, to bring up, you know, splits real quick. In the nine games that they won, they gave up only five touchdowns, had six interceptions, only gave up 6.4 yards per attempt and a 54% completion rate. So, like, that was a team effort. You know, that's when you, you know, I mentioned guys like, uh, yeah, like, like, like Goff and Taylor, but like, you know, the, the, the cornerback trio, like Michael Mack or, you know, Jaden Goodwin at the other safety position, you know, all of those guys stepped up to make that possible. But in the three games that they lost, that was one of the major factors, you know, where, where even teams like Wyoming were able to, you know, find some success and average seven yards per attempt while completing nearly 80% of their throws. You know, that was what happened against Utah State as well. I think that was maybe the starkest example of that. Mm-hmm. So I do think that there's it's maybe more of a coin flip than it might seem at first glance because you might think, okay, well, the Falcons are going to run the ball and control the clock and and Baylor might make just enough mistakes that the Falcons can make them pay. But it could also be that the Bears force them into a shootout that the Falcons don't want to be in. If it's a shootout, that's a problem. Like, say Baylor's up. Because we because Air Force could score. Like, we, we'll see Brad Roberts or Zeke Daniels bust off a, a 20 or 50-yard run on like a literally a six play drive that's 80 yards like quickly yeah. like a quick drive and so that's a legit possibility and that's gonna be a problem for most likely the air force defense because we mentioned before if you're an air raid team pass a lot quick three and outs you're not you're not using the clock at all your defense gets gassed for a, a deep drive that's 12 plays seven minutes your offense goes out three plays four when you punt for 90 seconds eventually is going to catch up to one of the two yeah. Where the offense can't, defense can't keep keep going out there. So, and they also like when you look at the yards per per pass attempt allowed, I should say they're seven a game, which is bottom was it four, uh, seventh or eighth in the conference? Not very good. Mm-hmm. They don't give up many touchdowns, obviously interceptions, same things, just because the amount of throws against them. But you're right, like sitting your state through 31 times against them, which is kind of wild to imagine when they play that season finale. They uh, did get two interceptions, but. The completion rate is what I look at, which is good. And even if you take out the Army game where they're 4-14 and Colorado's just dreadful, but they played a Power 5 team, they beat them easily 41-10. to I just think if if you look at the Air Force your per play or percentage numbers, if they hold what, what Baylor does in offense to 59% completion rate, that is going to be much less for five percentage points less for Blake Shapin. The yards per play is about what they already give up anyways. So when you look at what shaping does compared to what, excuse me, what Air Force gives up, it's not that much different. He only has 16 touchdowns on the year. Like he doesn't, he's not an elite, overly amazing quarterback, as you mentioned, with Lucian Bohannon last year when they went to the, when they, the Big 12 title game. So he's, mm-hmm. as of quarterbacks they faced, like who would you say, like where, where does he go in line? Because. I mean, I think he's above average. I think there's plenty of room for him to grow. Oh. Because so Air Force also never played, yeah, they never played amazing quarterbacks. So like, literally, who's the best quarterback they faced? Kalen Green. Like, I'm serious. Army, nobody. New Mexico, nobody. Clay Millen's the issue. You have a uh, San Diego State, obviously there, but like, there's no elite quarterback they faced all year, and maybe he could be a top three quarterback. Yeah, I, I mean, possibly. And I think the other the other thing to keep in mind too is you know Baylor's going to want to like try and establish its ground game as well because they have you know a one two tandem in uh, in Craig Williams who uh, he's had a couple of really strong performances down the stretch that that has sort of make made up for for Shapin's struggles you know, he had almost two hundred yards against Oklahoma in that victory and he had over a hundred against TCU in the loss. Averaged over five yards a carry in both of those games. You know, between him and uh, Richard Reese, who is the Big 12's Offensive Player of the Year, you know, Reese ran for almost a thousand yards and fourteen touchdowns. But oddly enough, Wait, like his work. Hold on, is Reese was the player. He was the player of the year in the Big 12. He was the Offensive Freshman of the Year. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought he was the player. I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. That was Max Duggan. TCU. That's what I thought. I'm like, wait a minute. Heisman finals, Max, du- Max Duggan playoff bound Horn Frog, Max Duggan. Okay, gotcha. But but Reese has seen his workload. Like he had a couple of huge heavy lifting, if you want to call them Brad Robert-esque type games in the middle of the year against Kansas and Texas Tech. You have back-to-back hundred-yard games and five touchdowns. 
But again, in November, like his workload has been decreased at least a little bit. And I, w- I didn't have enough time to really look up the reason. He's still been mostly effective in November. Like he's still averaging about four and a half yards per carry. But he hasn't been quite as impactful. Like he's only averaging, you know, nine nine carries per game down the stretch, only two touchdowns. Like getting him back on track against this Air Force front seven, I think is going to be one of those really key things. Both he and Williams can do damage. But it's just sort of a question of, you know, are they going to be able to get enough traction against this Falcons defense? That's the biggest thing you want to see because they're they, like we say, Baylor's just an average team. Like going through the 14 touchdowns is crazy for Reese. Five yards of carry is good. And even Craig Williams, they have a good a duo punch, a one two punch, even if you go down to Quellen Jones, Jones. They are a run first team by far. 34 touchdowns on the air. This, like we mentioned, this could be a running game. I don't, like you briefly mentioned, shootout potential. I don't see this could be, I don't think Blake Shape is going to get him a shootout potential here. It's going to be who runs the ball better. And that Air Force defensive line is going to have to get TFLs. Don't let, don't, like, don't let him get easy, short, second, and third downs. Make it third and six, not third and two. They're going to have to be big on first and second down to stop well, see, this rushing. The only attack. reason I would disagree with that is because I do think that like Baylor's offense has requisite enough amount of explosiveness to be able to put the Falcons on their back heel. I think the bigger question to sort of flip it around is whether Baylor's defense can hold up its end of the bargain against the Falcons offense that, you know, everybody in the world knows what they're going to come into the game doing. Are the bears going to be able to stop them? No, because I I don't trust any team to stop air forces rushing defense. Right. I think it's the simplest way to go. It's sort of an interesting question because on the, because on the one hand you could make the argument that's maybe the one thing that the Bears have done well, relatively speaking, all year long. Like uh, the run defense, just in terms of like yards per play, Pretty under good. four yards a carry, you know, three point yeah. eight five. But if you look a little closer, like they they've definitely bent a little bit more, especially in Big Twelve play than they did in in, uh, in September, for instance. So you're telling me West Virginia, Oklahoma, Texas, 200 plus yards per game. What yeah. I'm saying is, like, if you just look at the month by month progression of the rush defense, just in terms of okay. yards per carry allowed, not good, not good. It's, it's regressed every single month. August and September, 2.5 yards per carry, two touchdowns. And and, I, and I'm going to put this caveat out there: it's four games each. So in October, 4.2 yards per carry, eight touchdowns. November, 4.5 and 12. And I do think that you know the Falcons could take advantage of some disarray because coming into this game, it is worth noting that Dave Aranda is taking over as the acting defensive coordinator. They dismissed their DC, Ron Roberts, a couple of weeks ago, as well as their safeties and special teams coordinator, Ronnie Weep. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they have had issues on this side of the ball. You know, we I mentioned but... uh you know, run defense being a problem. But it's also been like sort of feast of famine in terms of their ability to generate havoc. Like they've been, they've, they've had a couple of strong performances the Bears have. Like they had, for example, five sacks versus Texas. And then they had six sacks and eight TFLs against Texas Tech. But since September, so you're talking about eight or nine games, they haven't had more than one sack in any game, which may not be a huge deal against the Falcons team that isn't going to throw the ball more than a handful of times, probably. But I think one 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 number that I'm looking at that is definitely going to decide this game one way or the other, Baylor has an 82.4% power success rate allowed, which is essentially the number of first downs or touchdowns that you're giving up when there's two yards of fewer. That's 128th in the country. <laughs> okay. Uh, as you might expect, that is an area where the Falcons have thrived. Like usual, they are converting in 85% of the, those situations on offense. That's fifth in the country. All of which is to say, like, you know, long story short, if if the Falcons get on schedule and stay on schedule, it could be a very long day for Baylor. Totally could. And also, you mentioned Dave Randa taking over. He's also a master defensive coordinator when he was like at LSU and Utah State years ago. So it's not, yeah, 
necessarily I'm just taking over. So that's something to note. I guess also one big opt out. There's not, there's only a couple for Baylor. Nobody huge. Devin Neal Jr. Safety is the biggest one because he's 41 tackles on the year. But they're yeah, pretty. And one of their, one of their guards, uh, Micah Mescua, recently entered the transfer portal today as well on offense. Okay, did not see that yet. Looking over at one real quick note. Here's a good resource. Do you ever use Fantasy Pros, Matt? Their website. I do not. It's real. It's real, it's an amazing website. And I stumbled across it the other day, just not the whole site, but this portion of it. They actually have a running list of opt-outs and no and injuries on there. So if you ever want to check out what team is missing the player, I just search fantasy pros and like bowl game opt-outs, and they have like a blurb on every game, either coaching or players out and stuff like that. So that's a good thing to kind of look at when I see scrolling up see Western Kentucky had about 15 guys it looks like in the portal. Not looking good. And after Air Force, there's zero because none are reported, and we probably will never know until they don't see up next spring and spring football fall camp. But yeah. that's the big – they have a couple other guys, but nobody else of note is missing this game outside the one – the guard you mentioned, me mentioned, Neil Jr. So, Yeah, I mean, it will it's, be... it's going to be – it's going to be a really tough assignment for this Bears defense, but that's not to say that they don't have guys who can step who, – who couldn't step up and, and sort of be the guy to lead the way. Like, I think one name to keep an eye on – is uh, Siaka Ika, their defensive tackle, who, you know, the, the numbers on the stat sheet don't exactly scream like, you know, elite player, 24 tackles, two TFLs, two pass breakups, five quarterback hurries. But he was an all all Big 12 performer this year. I think he was the lone guy on, uh, on either side of the ball on this Bears team to make the first team uh, all, comp- he, you know, and he's been named by Phil Steele, by the AP, by the coaches, you know, between him and their linebacker Dylan Doyle, like they've got some guys in the front seven who can who can thump and and keep Brad Roberts and, and John Lee Eldridge the third in check. But it could just as easily be that you know as the game progresses, they just wear them out because the Air Force probably does have the advantage on the offensive line and their ability to sort of you know just nickel and dime the Bears to death. Yeah, that. I just don't see like overall, like we know what air force does, but a couple of things, like there's a reason to be concerned why Baylor, Baylor we getting favored because the big 12 and biased and where the game's being played at and everything like literally down the street from Waco. So there'll be a, if you want to go to this game on Thursday in your area, Baylor, yeah. But Randa's familiar with the mountain West. He's familiar with air force to a degree. So there's that there's time to prepare for this game. It's not a one week off either where it's just next week and you're playing. Yeah. He's had a little bit of time to prepare. So that's all the consideration of what you mentioned, what Air Force could do offensively. Is Zeke Daniels, is John Eldridge a third, is uh, Brad Roberts going to have big games? Can the defensive line stop the um, multitude of running attack that Baylor will bring against the Falcons, which is many players, including that Big 12 freshman of the year, and Richard Reese? I just think if, if, if Air Force can slow the running game down a bit, they will be fine. I know there's big plays, explosiveness. Like they've had many big running plays, many big passing plays. Like forty yard, multiple plays over fifty yards already this year. Forty yards, like they get big plays, whether it's deep or some swing passes or to running backs who have some big plays as well. It's going to be, I think there'll be points in this game. I'm not sure if a shootout, but it still could be. I think to win this game, you probably need to get close to. I know the over under is forty seven, but I think it'll be higher than that, even with an academy out there running the ball and milking the clock. I still oh, think I would agree. Be, I still think I would, he I might mean, need, if it were me, I would smash the over at a minimum. Yeah. I still think you might need at least 30 points to win this game. And that's not quite shootout territory. Close, mm-hmm. but not quite. Do you have anything else to add, or should we get to the advanced numbers here? I think we could probably get to the advanced numbers. All right. What do our buddies say about this game? All right. So uh, SP Plus uh, favors Baylor. Uh, projected margin of 7.6 points. Win probability of 67%. FEI also likes the Bears by 5.3. And uh, Parker Fleming at Stats O'War on Twitter. His advanced stats preview gives Baylor a 64.94% win probability, projected margin of about 28 to 23. All right. What do you say? I think the Falcons are going to have to work for it. I would definitely take the over in this game. I do think they'll be able to outlast the Bears, though, and I do think it'll be a shootout. I'm going to say 34 to 31 Air Force wins. 34 31. Okay. Uh, I'm no sure I'm going Air Force to win. I'd be close, a little bit, a few, a, a couple fewer points. I'm trying to say fewer, fewer points, but it doesn't work out, Matt. I'm going to go, 
I still think you need 30 points. I'm going 31-27 Air Force. All right, then. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. On Saturday, December 24th, we have Middle Tennessee State taking on San Diego State in the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl, who last year, Matt, Easy Post is not happy. Their bowl game got canceled the first year of sponsorship. Yet, they were still the best social media account last year, having fun with it. That's right. Christmas Eve, 5 p.m. Pacific. What's that? 3 p.m. Hawaii. So, perfect time to, uh, sorry, family. I got things to do. I'm tired of you, and we'll do stuff later. That's right. You you, you just treat it the way that you, because, I mean, th- th- I'm pretty sure that's the only game that day, right? Um, yes. There are some NFL games. So, what you do is you, 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 do, you do all of your good deeds. You get all of your good karma to make sure that, like, Santa doesn't skip you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the following evening, but uh, yeah, so you got plenty of time to do that before kickoff. Keep an eye on it. Do the dinner, not lunch. You know what I mean? There you or go. I mean, do the lunch, not dinner type deal. If you're in the East Coast, it's easier because oh, we have early dinner. But just schedule accordingly. Keep an eye, on it. especially Aztec fans. They'll understand, right? I'm just saying, you're out in San Diego. It's going to be the busiest shopping, one of the busiest shopping days of the year because people are procrastinating. So oh, yeah. just gonna get to watch the game. So, so this matchup, Aztecs are a touchdown favorite. 49 and a half over under versus the Blue Raiders come out of they're still in Conference USA, right? Is that where they're at? They are they are stuck in Conference USA, yes. Stuck. Are they moving anywhere soon? I forget all the realignments. They are not. Okay, that's sucky for them. So Aztecs are in this bowl game. Do they want to be in the bowl game? Are they having issues with the bowl game? Is there anything? I'm just maybe making stuff up now, but it's a fun bowl game. You get to go to Hawaii for Christmas, so you can't complain. Yeah, but I'm just saying, I, don't think, I think if you're chilling on the beach, I don't think anybody's really complaining about that. Okay, just saying. So the only thing to note, like with this game, here's what we see with San Diego State, what I want to see. Um, we'll get to Middle Tennessee State in a moment, but it, can I just mention the running game? Is that is that going to be solved during the break? Is that any possibility they could find some semblance of a team to be able to run the ball at a reasonable level? Oh, it better be. <laughs> it better be. Why is that? Well, okay, so I'm glad you brought that up because – you know, middle because on the whole, Middle Tennessee is kind of like a they're they're fine. You know, a seven and five. You know, they they definitely had uh, an up and down year. You may recall we talked about them all the way back in week uh, week two, I believe it was, when they came to Colorado State, beat the pricks off the Rams for a good three out of four quarters in that game. A couple of weeks later, you know, they went out to Miami. The Hurricanes were ranked at that point. Put the hurt on the Hurricanes, started three and one, and then probably lost four of their next five before winning the last three. But one thing that they've well, done well. exceptionally well all year long is defend the run. You know, just in terms of like yards per carry allowed, best figure in Conference USA, about three and a half yards per carry, only 14 touchdowns. And especially down the stretch, you know, they didn't give up any touchdowns on the ground in four of the last five games, which coincidentally also happened to be when they more or less turned the season around and got to bowl season to begin with. But to sort of, you know, reinforce that point, you know, they, in on defense, they have, you know, an opportunity rate in the top 40, which means that they don't let runners get to the second level that often. Their power success rate, which we just mentioned a minute ago with Air Force, 
mm-hmm. uh, top 15 in the country, only 55.9% allowed, just inside the top 30 in stuff rate as well. And a lot of it starts with their defensive lineup front because they've got some dudes who can do some damage. Even in conference, they conference USA dudes, that's what you're saying? They've got it. They and we knew this coming into the year because I remember for a fact that we talked about it in the, in the Colorado State preview over the summer. You know the defensive line trio of Jordan Ferguson, Marley Cook, and, and Zalen Wood. Ferguson, I I don't recall if he was named the Conference USA Defensive Player of the Year, but he very well could have been because he led the team with 16 tackles for loss. Uh, I believe he also had nine sacks as well. Like that dude knows how to get after the ball, and he's got company up front. You know, Cook and Wood also combined for 12 sacks and 17 and a half tackles for loss. So to circle back to your question, will the will the SX be able to run the ball? One way or another, that's one thing that we're going to figure out very quickly. Well, they better find somebody because they have been battle here, and so if that's a, okay, let's just say Middle Tennessee also. Side note, is it Middle Tennessee State or Middle Tennessee? I see conflicting things here too. I think both are technically correct. Okay, technically. Like, so is this not, is this a Louisiana, Louisiana Monroe thing? Like the Louisiana schools? No, or... no, I think it's, it's not. Uh... You know not what? I can look this up if you want to, if you want to vamp for a moment. Yeah, well, as you get to, like, if the passing game, or excuse me, the running game doesn't get going, which I believe, I don't believe that'll really happen. So if we look at Jalen Maiden, that's where they're going to want to do things. Like he's been, again, we mentioned our wish list or I talk about randomly, but hey, what do you want for Christmas routine, Matt? What do you want for this guy or for this program? Aztecs have their quarterback of Jalen Maiden, hopefully sticks around. And I think that area is him with the running game being so bad this year, not being what it used to be. Sorry, my charger started going crazy. I'm like, oh no, don't unplug. I'm going to die here. Computer's low percentage. But point being, I think they're going to pass to have to win this game because I don't trust anything at the running game at all. And with what Maiden's been doing the past couple weeks, I guess months in the season, he's going to be – they're going to have to leave the passing game. I know they lost to Air Force recently. He didn't play very well in that game. He threw 31 times, a couple picks. He needs to limit those off. He needs to have a game like he did for San Jose State or UNLV where he'll probably have one pick because he has a weird one throughout we've seen. But I seriously think if they're going to win, he's going to have to have a game where he's about 250, 65%, and at least two touchdowns. I think that's what he's going to have to do. Okay, so before I elaborate on that point, I just wanted to to mention that I did find an answer with credit to given to Kevin Lytle from the Coloradoan. He actually looked back at this uh, back in September. And the yeah. short answer is that it's interchangeable. It can be Middle Tennessee or MTSU. <laughs> Good to know. All right. I'm always curious about it. I want to get it right. I want to get people out of this and be like, hey. No, you I think you're correct. Do not mention our team. Blue Raiders is a good way to put it too, right? Yes, that is correct. But to, but to, to circle back to your point, your more recent point, I might add, I will say that that's another point of emphasis where Middle Tennessee has dramatically improved down the stretch. You know, they were they were definitely beatable on that front in the first two months of the year. Like they basically gave up a, a 62% completion rate from August all the way through October. And that James Madison game was not half, nice. <laughs> yeah. Seven and a half yards per attempt. Um, you know, one thing they were good at was, for, was generating turnovers. Like they do have, Oh yeah. 17. Uh, believe 17 interceptions this year, but that came at, at allowing 27 touchdowns. However, down the stretch, and again, you can probably contextualize this to say that they were not facing the strongest competition in the world down the stretch. Charlotte, excuse me, Charlotte, they faced them. They're not very good, right? That's correct. <laughs> but in but in the last five games, they allowed fewer than sixty percent completion rate. Mm-hmm. You know, they were sort of up and down in terms of like their yards per attempt allowed, and they were a lot more active about forcing turnovers as well. They had one, two, three, seven interceptions in the last five games, and four versus so, FIU. Yeah. So, and again, I'm just, to contextualize this, I'm just going to tell you the last five teams that they played: UTEP, hey, they Louisiana beat Tech. State. <laughs> they, that's correct. Uh, Charlotte, as you mentioned, Florida Atlantic, Florida International. Obviously, none of those teams are world beaters. However, when you're holding seen... teams to, 
improvement. The fifty, the mid fifty percent range is much better than mid sixties, which they were doing basically versus Western Kentucky, UAB, UTSA. They beat Miami, Florida, who's not very good, and that was a pretty good defensive showing. But they're well in the sixty percent range. So they, I don't care who you play. It's like they improved. Like, would you rather do that or have Ball Tech go fifty five percent and also three touchdowns in the interception? And we've seen Maiden be erratic enough that Middle Tennessee can make them him pay for whatever mistakes that he makes. You know, they have a pretty good secondary that, if nothing else, has done an excellent job of getting its hands on a lot of footballs this year. Like Teldrick Ross, for example, their their longtime veteran safety, tied for third among all FBS defenders this year with 18 pass breakups to go along with an interception. You know, DeCorian Patterson, you know, one of their cornerbacks, had 12 TFLs and six interceptions himself. So the Aztecs aren't the only team in this game that has a little bit of prowess on the back end. And I think in, in addition to that, you know, to, to sort of, you know, elaborate one more time, if you'll indulge me, Go the other it. thing that Middle Tennessee has had going for it all year long, surprisingly, surprisingly enough, is really stingy defense in the red zone in particular. They've only given up a 67% conversion rate for points. That was number one in Conference USA as was their 52.2% touchdown right allowed. And considering that San Diego State on offense was 11th in the Mountain West, only converted 37.5% of their red zone opportunities for touchdowns. So that's basically three and eight. Like that's exactly the kind of thing that could lead you to believe that points will be at a premium in this game if the Aztecs aren't careful. It's potential there, yeah. That could be... Well, thing is too, Aztecs don't score a ton of points anyways. If they're not a high flying, high scoring team, which is interesting why they're a touchdown favorite. They're assuming they're going to win like thirty to twenty three or something like that, or not even there, like th- what twenty eight twenty somewhere in that range, which maybe they could do because when Maiden's been the starter, they've been they only scored again like a couple of games, like three versus Air Force the last recently. But then again, New Mexico, when they, Mexico thirty four, okay, it's Mexico. They put up 43 versus San Jose State. They're radically offensively what they what they do. And again, it kind of goes to the point of they needing Maiden to play well because in New Mexico and San Jose State, he had five total touchdowns, big wins, over 30 points. Versus UNLV, he did have both touchdowns, which but only 14 points. So they're mm-hmm. a team that maybe could score points in that. Like they put up 28 versus Fresno and had chances there. But I think with the improving – like when you look at who they played – Middle Tennessee, the back end of that passing attack, look at Maiden and everything. It's one where I'd say the Aztecs are not miles ahead, but I'd say they're a bit better than most of those teams they played. Like FAU, FIU, I think Aztecs passing offense is a No, I mean, all, more all of those teams are, are pretty rough around the edges. Fine, I'm saying like Aztecs that passing offense isn't a lead or anything. I'm saying they're, it's going to be better than what they faced in a month. This might yeah. be more just under UAB territory, not Western Kentucky by any stretch. I'm saying it'll be a, a little bit better, not amazingly better, but they'll be mm-hmm. better. But again, yeah. we see, like you mentioned, made an interception, him throwing, overthrowing passes, him making amazing throws, but not seeing Jesse Matthews wide open or something. So there's a potential where if, he, if he's off a bit and with the improvement Middle Tennessee has made, and if the running game doesn't go for San Diego State, there's a lot that could go wrong in a hurry. I don't ex- foresee everything going poorly for Aztecs or not everything executing to the highest level. But if if Maiden has some issues, running games eh, kind of there. Do you think the defense can win a sixteen to seven game with a, a defensive touchdown and two field goals? Yeah, probably. I know. I'm just because, that's what I'm asking. That's, because middle, that. because Middle Tennessee's offense is it's it has some nice pieces, but unlike the the, the Blue Raider defense, it doesn't have any Ferguson type guys who who really scare you to death. Like they have an above average quarterback in Chase Cunningham, who you know missed nearly all of last year with a with a serious knee injury, came back this year, and he's been pretty solid when he's been healthy. I think he missed one game with injury, if I'm not mistaken. But he's been competent, you know, 67% completion rate, 19 touchdowns against nine interceptions, yards per attempt, uh, seven per throw. But I think the big problem, which San Diego State could be able to exploit, is that the Blue Raiders have not been terribly explosive 
on this side of the ball. When you just look in terms of 20-yard plays, only Florida International had fewer 20-yard plays of any kind, rushing or throwing, in Conference USA, only 45 in 12 games. That, I think, lets me think, leads me to believe that Kurt Maddox should be able to keep things in front of him, making Middle Tennessee work their way down the field, which, you know, in terms of like, you know, available yards percentage, for example, it's not like the Blue Raiders have a great time of, of moving the ball at will in the same way that we just talked about with Baylor a little bit ago. Um, you know, the Blue Raiders are only earning 43%, 44% of available yards per drive. That's only 81st in the country. And I think that that bodes well for a San Diego State offense that has had its troubles moving the ball this year, but have definitely been improved as of late. I would think, you know, between Cunningham and Maiden, maybe the quarterback situation is a wash. Yeah, you might say that the Blue Raiders have have a slight edge at running back at the point because Frank Peasant, you know, is a guy that you know can do a little bit of everything. He ran for over seven hundred yards and also caught you know twenty six passes for two hundred seventy six more yards. So I think he's definitely be a focal point. But Middle Tennessee doesn't have a lot of guys that should threaten like to like break the game wide open. Makes sense because they're six and six, man, or seven and five. Sorry, they're not very good. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I think if there's one exception, okay, what's the exception? which I which I think is probably one more thing that both these teams have in common. You know, I think both teams are going to come in with with an edge on the defensive line. You know, we haven't even mentioned like Jonah Tobai and company up front. He's pretty good. Um, yeah. You know, they should be able to to do a, a lot of good. I would say for ASIC fans, if there's one other thing that this t- these two teams have in common is they both have very good special teams. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Because on the on can't. the one hand, of course, we're we're well versed in what Jordan Bird and, and Jack Browning have done this year. For MTSU, though, like they've got a pair of all conference performers as well. Like they have Conference USA's best punter in Kyle Ulbrich, um, and they have Jalen Lane, who's a, who's a longtime really interesting guy who does a little bit of everything for MTSU. He averaged 119 all-purpose yards per game this year. That was third in that conference this year. He was the team's leading pass catcher with over 800 yards receiving and four touchdowns. You know, the primary punt returner, the primary kick returner. He does a little bit of everything, and he has that sort of game-changing speed that the Essex will need to account for. So if if you're looking for one bowl game that might turn on special teams being able to flip the field one way or the other, it's probably this Hawaii Bowl that could bring it, whether it's Bird or Lane or someone like that. That's good to know. Yeah, because Bird's had, what, two touchdowns, I believe, a punt and kick return? Yeah, I believe he's had one one punt and one kick. So that's an area to look at as well. This, yeah, this... I, we're probably all picking San Diego State every time for all these teams Mountain West. It's just that with this bowl games and bowl teams that are records are they're both seven and five. They both have flaws. They both have positives and negatives. Um, I do wonder how much they can get to chase Cunningham for senior state. Like he had been sacked 22 times on the year. So I, I do give the edge defensively for San Diego state passing game. Like you mentioned, pretty close rushing to more toward uh, middle Tennessee. But I think Asics have more ways to win this game. That's where I'm kind of leaning this way. I think that I would tend to agree with that. So what do we got for like our buddies for uh, stats and uh, uh, point differential or projection? Sorry, I'm trying to think of the right word here. Go ahead. All right. So SP Plus likes the Aztecs. They project San Diego State uh, with a 2.4 point margin. That's a 56% win probability. FBI also likes San Diego State by 6.2. And Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives San Diego State a 66.1% win probability. Projected margin of 31 to 25. Six points. Hmm. I think this will be lower score. I think the under might be the play here because it's 49 and a half. I'm going to go 21-13 San Diego State. Kind of a low scoring game. Yeah, I mean, I don't think either team's going to run away with this one. 
I do think that the defense is definitely going to be the name of the game. I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of standout performances on both sides. I think that I trust San Diego State's passing game just a little bit more. So I'm going to say Aztec 17, Middle Tennessee 14. Right. Aztecs for the win in Hawaii. Yes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tuesday, December 27th, we have a bowl game. We'll be covered at MWR.com. Memphis versus Utah State. 12-15 Pacific time for you, Matt, out there on the West Coast. 2-15 local there on a awesome Tuesday post-Christmas game for the first responders ball, which um, I'm pretty sure, Matt, the players and coaches don't like this time of bowl game because it means they're probably traveling Christmas Eve or even Christmas morning. It's, uh, it's, it's not ideal, probably. No, like to spend time with their family, so it's not great. Do they send players home? Do they meet up in Dallas? It's um, it's it's a tough one. And they're playing at the home SMU, Gerald Ford Stadium. Memphis is a hefty seven-point favorite over under 61.5 points, Matt. This is, my, this is the highest over under for all the Mountain West Bowl games this weekend. And I think that could be the case. But this matchup, man – um. You have Calvin Tyler Jr. for Utah State. You have Cooper Lega. You have uh, Brian Cobbs catching the ball for Utah State. I think if Utah State shows up for a team that we've seen recently, like even in the Boise State loss, it just came down to a weird two quick scores for it looked like a blop where they beat San Jose State to score a point versus Hawaii. They beat Air Force. Never, I'm just going to say, don't count out Utah State in any game this year because they've just been so weird the past second since the BYU loss, whereas they're winning games and keeping it close. They're getting things together. And I'm wondering if Cooper Lagaw will feed off of last year. Remember he came in and the first pass was a giant touchdown pass from Blake, not Blake Anderson, excuse me, Logan Bonner went down. He led them to a bowl victory last year. So he's going to be, uh, I think everybody's going to be ready to go, but I think this game will be one of the more fun games if both teams can kind of come up humming. Yeah. I mean, it really is going to depend on which Lagaw shows up. Because it took him a little while to get going against that against the Broncos, but we've seen the good and the bad from him this year. I think one of the things that's going to play a big role. Oh, I, I do need to bring something up here. I just made made an error. Calvin Tyler not playing in this game. I should mention that right away. Oh, he's not. Changes things. I looked. I'm looking at fantasy pros. I'll double check. I thought I looked, but they say he's out as an opt out. So I'll take a quick look. If he's out, that might uh, change a few things here for me. I wasn't aware of that. I'm, I will see real quick. Let me take a quick look here. Googling in real time is the best podcast research. Well, um, while you do that, I'll just sort of elaborate on my point to say that, you know, in, in focusing on Lagan in particular, one thing that has really sort of held the offense back is he's turned the ball over way too often. You know, nine interceptions and only 209 pass attempts. That's an interception rate of 4.3%. That's just not going to get it done. And we saw over the, over the last couple of weeks how it almost, you know, gave the game away against San Jose State, and it definitely did against Boise State. So if you're looking for an area where Utah State can hang around in this game, I really do think it's going to start under center. So who do you think the better quarterback is then? No, see, okay, so that's a good sure. question. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. a good question because, you know, Hennigan – Seth Hennigan, the Memphis quarterback, he's, I mean, we talked about Chase Cunningham, uh, the middle Tennessee quarterback, and how he was sort of like, fine. And I think that is really sort of the sphere where Hennigan exists too, because, you know, like in, in terms of like where his standing was this year among quarterbacks in the American, nobody was going to confuse him with Clayton Toon or, or Tanner Mordecai. But he was no. he was competent, like he was in the top five in terms of completion percentage. You know, sixty three point eight, average to seven point nine yards per attempt. That was also fifth in the conference. 
but considering how often he threw the ball, like he threw the ball almost 35 times a game, only 19 touchdowns against eight interceptions. And so I think like if, if I'm looking at place to start, yeah, it's sort of, it's, I mean, to circle back to you, ah, I don't know. I don't know that either <laughs> team has a sizable advantage. I, I know the guy, he can, he can run the ball a little bit. Like he moves the ball. He makes plays with his legs a bit. Um, and also for what I could tell, I'm still doing some research here. It looks like Calvin Tyler is opting for the NFL draft and not playing the game. I'm still double checking on that. So oh, if he's okay. out, it's going to be, it's a big deal because he, one of the best running backs in the conference. He's that good. And mm-hmm. I'm, I've been on him since last year before I got hurt and lead into this year, like watch this guy. And he's a, a big reason why he, or excuse me, why this team has kind of turned around because he's been stepping up lately. So yeah. that's why it's, it's what I'm looking at right now. So, but that's what it seemed like he's off the draft. But I think with with Lega, him having the ability to run on move with his legs and run run that way, that's going to be a, a component where Calvin Tyler aside if he's playing or not, which seems unlikely at this point from two different places I've looked. They're going to need him to Lega to have a big play, big game on either aspects, running and throwing, because they do with. Because here's the thing: if you don't have Tyler back there, if you're not running the ball with your Best backer is not available, or your your number two guy's just he's number two for a reason. That could limit or change how they decide to run with Cooper Lega. Mm-hmm. I he has enough big play capability to like we've seen him show up and have a big play step in and make it. So there's that potential. But if you're missing key guys, if like if Steph if uh, not Steph, sorry, that's the other cops. It's just losing Tyler's it's it could be a potentially big deal, but Lagas good enough to win it by himself because we've seen what he could do this past what month four to six weeks or basically whenever he got named the starter and post concussion return. Well, I mean, I, th- I think the other thing is too is that he's going to have to navigate a defense that you know is is good but not great, I guess I would say, but has some pieces that can that can do some damage if if the if the Aggies aren't ready for him. Like for example, Quindell Johnson. Their longtime safety. A lot of people consider him to be maybe like the best player on that unit. You know, all conference kind of guy. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to look up his numbers as I talk. I should have had that ready. Um, but you know, he's a guy who does a little bit of everything for this Tigers defense. You know, four TFLs, four pass breakups, 73 total tackles, four interceptions as well. One of the more all around safeties, one of the more better, excuse me, all around safeties anywhere in that conference. Between him and Xavier Collins, who had over 100 tackles in the middle of the defense, Memphis has some guys who can make plays and and make Utah State pay for whatever turnovers that they might generate. Yeah, you get turnovers, man. You can't do that. That can't be what you're doing if you're going to win this game. You have to protect the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think if there's one saving grace is that the Tigers don't have a particularly strong pass rush. Like they have like they have like you know, they have a couple guys who have at least four sacks, you know, Cormonte Hamilton, Jalen Allen along the defensive line. But as a unit, they only have 17 sacks on the year. And and that is one thing that Utah State has been able to do relatively well all season long is be able to protect whoever has been under center. You know, the Aggies coming into this game have, uh, you know, at least on standard downs, which is sort of like your first and ten situations and things like that, have only allowed a three percent sack rate, which I think is good news if they do decide that they want to try and stretch the field and take shots early to guys like Justin McGriff and, and Brian Cobbs. The, the the line has played well enough to make that gamble worthwhile. So, okay. So I'm reading what, okay. I'm sorry. I'm reading what you said, but I'm finding more about Calvin Tyler. It seems inconclusive because he put out a huge thing on Twitter. I know I'm changing the subject about NFL draft, but doesn't specifically say he's not playing. It just says he's declared for the draft. Cause you can declare and still play, right? You don't have to say. Yeah. Because all it says here, like I'm reading through, uh, I want to thank my parents, grandparents, thank my sister, son, family, parents wish we get better, got well, my degree. Well, the tweet does say we got one more. 
Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So it's like, here's the last line. It goes, I was able to come to Utah State and hit goals I never imagined, but one that mattered the most to me is winning the Mountain Championship in 2021. I'm excited on this next chapter of my life. With that being said, I'll be pursuing my lifelong dream, entering the NFL draft. But he says we got one more. I would assume he's playing, right? I don't know why two different websites would say he's – because all they say is entering the NFL draft as mentioned as opt-out. Mm-hmm. That, I, to me, this seems like he's playing, right? Because you, I, I would, would have seen so, like, yeah. because people I work with, people I, because I know, I specifically know the play by play person for Utah State football. And we would have heard something because he'd bring stuff up like this, especially if it's a pretty big deal when we air the games in our radio station, everything. And so this seems like, yeah, he's not, he's playing. I don't know why these sites are, they mention NFL draft, but they don't mention, it's nothing saying he's not playing the bowl games. You would say, I'm moving on to prepare for the draft or something like that. So yeah. To, to me, they're jumping the gun and saying he's not playing. So if he's playing, that's a whole different story. And not to say disregard what we said before, because Memphis maybe could slow him down. But if he's out there, it's a huge reason they're going to win because he is probably, probably definitely, I think, the best running back on, on the field. Yeah, but I do think, you know, if if there's one thing that the Tigers do well, it is to defend the run. Like, you know, their, their pass rush is sort of lackluster. But I do I do note that there's a major difference between their sack rate, for instance, which is 122nd in the country, only 3.9%, and their overall stuff rate, which is just tackles at or behind the line of scrimmage, which is in the top 50 at 19.1%. And that's where guys like like Allen, Collins, Hamilton, even Johnson at safety have all made a huge impact. And so... You know, if the Aggies to decide to take that tack and lean on Tyler and, and Robert Briggs in the backfield, I think that would be a, another worthwhile gamble to take. But I do think that that might be the avenue where they find tougher sliding overall. Yeah, because if they can, if they're able to do that, that's I mean, like, yeah, they're the they're going to need the explosive pass plays if they're going to win this game. I think. Yeah, you get a both. Yeah, because. Let's and and look, God's done that. Like I don't, I should have, I don't have his exact numbers in front of me for deep pass plays, but we've again, I can clear, easily mention last year's Kimmel Ball when it came off the bench cold. We've seen how many deep throws he's played to Cobbs or to other receivers on this on this offensive attack. Like when mm-hmm. you look at what Utah State has done throwing the ball, like just end of it, not just necessarily what Cooper the has done, but you have um, guys within the conference who are making. Huge plays like excuse me, I need to mention Justin McGriff. Only three catches, but over fourteen yards per catch. That's a reasonable, reasonable deep threat for what they have on this team. And he gets yeah. the ball to multiple it's not just one guy, he'll get it to multiple players on this team. So don't expect the guy just to throw it to one or two guys. Like Cobbs is it only four touchdowns, but he's seventy catches. He throws the ball to all these people. Downfield, yeah, like who who wouldn't want to be better downfield throwing the ball? You know what I mean? Who wouldn't want to have that huge average? Is this fine? But there, there's enough to go around offensively where when Utah State's offense is on their game, they have enough talent for multiple receivers from Cobb, from McGriff, Tyler out there. Again, assuming he's playing, that I don't see otherwise. Everything seems inconclusive. I don't know what all these websites saying he's out. Unless we're mad, unless we're completely wrong here and I misread his tweet, he's playing. But they have enough talent overall. The offense is at full strength. They're a really good offense. Like there's a reason they went toe to toe Boise State. They just had a weird fluke ending at the end where. A bad, a bad. I think a turnover led to a quick score. Then Boise had another random quick, quick, uh, mm-hmm. another quick score in that what one oh five left, and they scored twice. So um, I don't see. And Memphis plays the American. They play Cincinnati. They play UCF. They play Tulane. The offense they see won't be out of the ordinary for what they go up against in this in that conference because there are teams in the American that put up points as well. That's why the over and so does Memphis themselves. That's why it's over under is at sixty one and a half. But also Memphis yeah, I mean, was not a great team overall. Six wins. Utah State was better, way much better in the second half after Alabama and Weber State and BYU losses. Yeah, I mean yes and no because well yeah like they don't have a ton of like all conference guys. Memphis does doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know I, I said that earlier the quarterback situation I think is a wash, but I and I but I would. Think I would also say the same of the passing game too, because while they may not have like one guy, like like Brian Cobbs does that Utah State has, they've got a trio at least that Utah State is going to have to be ready for. 
you're including their their tight end, who was a first team all conference guy, Caden Prescorn, forty six catches, five hundred and ninety three yards, and six touchdowns. Um, you know, I believe the receptions and the yards, if I'm if I remember correctly, were both the best among American tight ends. And you know, between him, Jaden Ivory at wide receiver, Eddie Lewis, all three of those guys had at least five hundred yard receiving. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's going to make it. A, a, I would say a decent test, at least for a Utah State secondary. Come on, man. They got Ike Larson. Come on, dude. <laughs> kidding. I mean, I, I, they've had you know plenty of strong performances. Like when they when they get against a team that is that that struggles in that side of the ball, like they've shown that they can play really well. Um, you know, they shut down Colorado State when they were you know, when they were playing with backup. They shut down Wyoming. They shut down Hawaii. They shut down, you know, New Mexico. But then you saw those last two weeks. They couldn't. They couldn't figure out Siobhan Cordero, and they couldn't figure out Taylor Green. So one of the, one of the yeah. big questions I think for this game is: is is Seth Hennigan closer to that latter group, or is he closer to that group that that the Aggies were able to take care of in the middle of the season? a good point yeah it's what team's gonna show up that's the thing that's going on i i don't know man i'm just it's gonna it's it's true because with utah state being inconsistent i i'm leaning more toward the second half of the team you know what i mean i know they get Mm -hmm. occasionally here and there with teams they played passing the ball against them but i'm just gonna lean to them trending upward which they've basically been doing ever since cooper lagaz has been the guy quarterback also, I may have found the definitive thing about Calvin Tyler Jr. because I keep looking for that. So okay. I'm a little distracted. So I'm going to keep looking around. I'm like, there's got to be something else. I haven't listened to this yet. It's a video, but I'm not going to play it. But KUTV had them on their show, Talking Sports. Utah State title. Utah State senior running back Calvin Tyler Jr. on bull prep, December 5th. So it's still a couple weeks ago. But if you're talking bull prep and his announcement was a week later, I think all signs are him playing. I, I just think people are jumping the gun on that. So. Hopefully that's definitive, right? Is that enough for you? I don't know, man. Close enough. <laughs> I think I mean, it's we're, close. We're enough. also recording this on December eighteenth, so a lot of things could happen between now and kickoff in nine days. Yeah, and so I think if you're opting out for the NFL or trans or not even transfer, but opting out for the NFL, you would have done it by now. Especially, or sorry, let me rephrase that. He's intending to go to NFL draft. Has not said he's not. He, there's no clear defensive because there's people who say I'm going to NFL draft to prepare and not going to my bowl game because there's guys like Bryce Young or you have Will Anderson of Alabama saying they're playing the Sugar Bowl but declare for the draft as well. Yes. So it's not out of the ordinary, but I just I want Calvin Tyler to play one more game. He's so fun to watch. He's so good to watch out there. So my can I can we make a uh, hedging our bet if he plays? I choose to win. If not, they may not win. <laughs> I'll allow it. Okay. But yeah, I'm looking around myriad of things like people looking at message boards. I'm like, people, it's uh well interesting. I do find it funny, like I'm looking at some Memphis stuff. Utah State sounds their third string quarterback. I'm like, are they? Do you not know what this team's been doing the past month? Mm-hmm. It's not like the quarter it's not like Cooper Lagos coming off of last well, two weeks ago, first game ever. So that's always interesting too to see and hear about. But what 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 are the advanced numbers in this one? Because I I do think there'll be a lot of points regardless of Tyler players, and I think Lagarde may need to throw the ball forty times to win the game too. I think that's kind of where I'm leaning as well for this one. This one might surprise you. Um, um, SP plus likes Memphis by nineteen point nine, eighty seven percent win probability. Wait, to win by nineteen point nine uh, points? Nineteen point nine. What? Bill, can you re-enter the numbers over there, please? Uh, FEI. <laughs> Likes Memphis by 15. And uh, Parker Fleming at Stats O'War on Twitter. His advanced stats preview gives Memphis a 78.35% win probability. Projected margin of about 34 to 23. So about an 11-point margin. What do you say? Because I don't think that being the case. Uh, I, I think that I don't trust Utah State's offense nearly as much as you do. I'm going to take Memphis to win, 31 to 21. 31 to 21. Hmm. 
I'm right in the Mountain West team, so I'm going to go Utah State. Why not? I don't know if they'll cover. Well, no, sorry. If they win, it doesn't matter. They're a seven-point favorite. I think regardless – well, you just didn't. I think Utah State is going to cover anyways because seven points is a lot in a bowl game and weird stuff can happen. Um, I think this might be one of those games that goes crazy just because I want it to happen and maybe will it to existence. I'm going to go Utah State 40, Memphis 35. Why wow, not? okay. Just saying, why not? Utah State can score points. Why not? That well, we'll see. Great analysis. Why not? <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be digging for this, this information because it's bugging me now. So I apologize if I was a little scattered last little bit, but I'm going Aggies to win. If Tyler doesn't play, they're not going to win. I think they need him to play. And I think that's safe regardless. If you're here's the thing, if your starting running back's not playing, you're probably not going to win the game, most likely. So I'll mm-hmm. go that route. But I think a full string Utah State team can beat Memphis. All right, then. And that wraps up uh, our latest bowl preview. Um, MWWire.com is where you can find all of our bowl projections, bowl picks, content, insight, Calvin Tyler Jr. news I need to find out because it's still killing me at the moment because it's so weird and dumb and hilarious. But check back on our site, Twitter, Facebook, to find our predictions. You can vote in our polls, all that fun stuff. We do subscribe to our show, and we'll be back. I don't know when because the calendar's fluid at the moment because recording these not necessarily in direct order, but we'll be back to recap all the bowl games. And as of this moment, we still have the after you've listened to this Memphis Utah State preview and others, we still have Ohio versus Wyoming on Friday, December thirtieth thirtieth. So we'll discuss that as well. And we'll be back shortly and just um have a great Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, everything you're celebrating this holiday season, especially Matt, just celebrate all the football because there's only a couple games left.